Congratulations! You're listening to a Radio One ninety one FM podcast. Hi. Hello. Welcome, Welcome to, to Required, Required Reading. Reading. I'm Charlie. And I'm Amy. And we are two unqualified Otago students. And in this podcast, we discuss books and sometimes their adaptations, mostly so we can avoid our uni work. This episode, we're talking about Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte and its associated fantastic cult classic song, also called Wuthering Heights, by Kate Bush. We're talking about Wutherings, the Jonas Brothers, subjectivity and narrative bias, complex characters, and my parents. Find out more later on in this episode. I'm also going to issue a little bit of a spoiler warning. We do talk about the entire plot, but you don't actually have to read the book anymore. Just listen to the podcast, then you can say you did. So initially, before I read the book, I thought it was called Wuthering Heights. Wuthering. Wuthering. For years, I thought it was Wuthering Heights. I am so glad that we our first episode is about Wuthering Heights because oh, I, I feel like this is one of the most important books, especially for us personally. And our friendship. And our friendship, exactly. Um, so I reckon we should start with a little bit of history of... Yeah. Maybe we should start with Emily Bronte the author herself um, before going into a little bit of the history of the book. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's good. So Emily Bronte, if you don't know, is part of this trio of sisters who are absolute girl bosses, Emily, Charlotte and Anne. And between them, they've contributed some of the most influential English literature. Charlotte wrote Jane Eyre Anne, Agnes Grey. Um, um, they were sent away to a horrific boarding school, which they all hated and ended up living at home just writing. And and their early grim experiences led them to have a really colourful interior world, which is we, what you see in the books that they've written. Yeah, what I found really interesting when I was like doing a bit of research on Wuthering Heights is Jane Eyre was the sort of most famous book from the sisters for so long. Yeah. Basically until Sylvia Plath wrote this little essay, and she was like, Jane Eyre sucks and Wuthering Heights is the best and anybody who disagrees knows nothing about literature. And I, I was fucking just like, stand by that. Yeah, I, and you know what? She was right. She was right. She was right. Wuthering Heights is the best. Yeah, at the time when it was published, everyone thought it was vile and evil and wicked. Yeah. And again, they were right, but <laughs> yeah. times they are a-changing. And I feel like it's not quite as crazy to think about a woman following her own dreams and desires. Yeah, I think definitely we'll get more into this when we talk yeah. about the book, but Emily really makes some complex characters. They're she not does. always likeable. Yeah. No, uh, actually, I would say most of the characters are <laughs> yeah. actively unlikable. Uh, they're unpleasant. They are unpleasant, but somehow you kind of fall in love with them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Back to uh, the book. So it was published in 1847, which is quite a while ago. Um, it was originally released under a pseudonym called Alice Bell. Um, and Emily died only 12 months after it was published. Yeah, and it was her only work of published fiction, which is kind of devastating because it's such a good book. It would be nice to have more. Yeah, it is such an amazing book, but... You know what? She um she only created perfection, and yeah. maybe perhaps that's something we should all aspire to. A true magnum opus. Um, 
And when I was doing a little bit of research, I did find a review from Graham's Lady Magazine. Now, before we get, I in, love that one. Like, also weird, weird title. Is it a Lady Magazine that is a man named Graham's? Look, I'd I, like to know. I need answers. I immediately thought of Graham Norton. Um, <laughs> Graham Norton, Lady think it, Magazine. Yeah. Today we're talking about yeah Emily Bronte. Yeah, but um. In that magazine, yeah, the book was described as a compound of vulgar depravity and unnatural horrors. That's so. what we love to see. Sounds like a great romance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of romance, the book um, really plays with genre. The way that it was marketed was in very much the same air as, like, Jane Eyre. yeah. I'm not sure if Pride and Prejudice came afterwards. I think that it might have, but yeah. there was a lot of romantic novels. Actually, oh, a bit before. Yeah. Oh, good. So we get, like there were all these really famous novels coming out of these um, massive romances taking kind place of between slow a, burn, slow burn, gentle romances between people that didn't really discuss their feelings or yeah. make big proclamations of love. Yeah, and there was always sort of your classic hero that was perfect, perhaps misunderstood though. Yeah. Um, but this book really turned all of that on its head. The hero is pretty much anything oh, he's but an heroic. Anti- he's an anti-hero. He is an anti-hero. Yeah. Um, the heroine basically does nothing that you think that she would. Yeah. And the uh, whole time you're kind of banging your head on the wall being like, seriously, Kathy? Yeah. Yeah. Like it just it doesn't really make sense within the context yeah. of the books that were being released at the time. It's like a surprisingly modern text. Yeah, it is, for sure. And because we both read it, obviously, recently. Well, actually, I read it in 1850. <laughs> <Okay>. so. <laughs> but, but, like, at the time, I was, when I first read it, I had been, like, obsessed with these 1800 novels. Yeah. Like, I had specifically been reading all of those romance books, mm. so I thought going into it, it was like, oh, it's going to no be another context. Sense and Sensibility, another Pride and Prejudice. I just hadn't really And so many people the... talk about, like, Kathy and Heathcliff's love. Exactly. So you expect that it's, you have these assumptions, and you read the book, and you're just wowed by yeah. how different it is. Yeah, completely wowed. Um, so, yeah, that, that's one of the things that Wuthering Heights does so beautifully is just play with the conceptions of the genre Mm. but then another thing that it does is the way that the story is told is through this woman talking to another man and neither of them are involved in yeah neither of them are the main characters they're just so this main guy which we open the book with he's asking what's happened in in this world and this other woman is telling him the story that she's she's only an observer to. So you're getting these two lenses of, you know, bias because there are two people perceiving these stories in a certain way and none of the story about these characters are told by any of the characters. Yeah, exactly. And also it's just interesting because the way that it's written, it, it's obvious that the way that both of those characters are trying to tell the story is objectively. Yeah. But that's sort of impossible when you're only able to tell a story from a certain perspective. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we really have no idea. But also there are some events that occur that just... Nellie was not there for. No, she wasn't. She was not. She and wasn't. So I think that she has superpowers. 
Um, so maybe this ties into like the X-Men somehow. I don't know. Emily Bronte was really ahead of her time, so I wouldn't be surprised. The cinematic universe. The cinematic universe, exactly. Um, I we were also thinking that a fun little activity before we get into literally the telling you the the entire synopsis. The entire plot. Yeah. Um, is a little fun fact about Wuthering Heights. Um, so my one is Heath Ledger and his sister Catherine are named after the Wuthering Heights <gasps> oh characters. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I don't think his real name is Heathcliff, which is kind of disappointing. Heathcliff Ledger? Yeah, Heath Heathcliff Ledger. Oh, that's kind of a tongue twister. That kind of is. Um, and it makes me mm. like the Ledger family. Even I don't know any of the Ledger family. I had no thoughts on the Ledger family, but now I <laughs> now have positive you do. ones. Okay. <laughs> yeah, now I have positive ones. And they're ones. strong? Exactly. Yeah, very strong. Um, so my fun fact. I'd also like to point out that we haven't revealed our fun facts to each no, other. No, Um So my fun fact yeah. um, ties into Charlie's parents, but also the Jonas Brothers. Oh, my goodness. Um, so we've gone over how there's three Bronte sisters, Charlotte, Emily, and Anne. Kind of like the Jonas Brothers, okay? Three siblings. But what does the Jonas Brothers have that the Brontes also have? Good here. Yeah, yeah, true. A TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, So the Jonas Brothers have Bonus Jonas. Frankie Jonas. Frankie Jonas. And the Bronte sisters have Branwell Bronte, (laughs) who... Nobody remembers because he wasn't very good at writing. He was filled with like the audacity of a, a privileged white man who's mediocre, and he sent away scripts to to lots of people, and they all went, oh, "Sorry, it's actually just shit." Um, and because of that, like it's actually quite sad. He, it is sad. He had these really brilliant sisters, and he was just okay. Like he he got some poems published, but um, good on him. Good on him. Um, so he goes. He he becomes an artist instead, and he paints these great paintings. And the most famous painting of the Bronte sisters. He's actually in it, um, but he painted himself out, and no. nobody's really sure why. <laughs> and it's not done very well. And like Google it, it's such a good image because he's just painted gold over it. It kind of looks like he's beaming up to like Star Trek. Like <laughs> it's so funny. But so he went away to art school and um, he was only there for a week or two. And then he was a tutor at this place and he fell in love with the mistress of the house and possibly both the female and male children that he was tutoring. Um, oh. There's some discussion of that. We don't know. This has taken a slightly dark turn, Amy. Mm-hmm. I'll bring it back up, okay? <laughs> okay? Okay. So he fell in love with this woman called Lydia. And Lydia's last name was Robinson. For those out there, that's my last name as well. <laughs> that's actually not my point yet. <laughs> okay. So she was Mrs. Robinson, which might sound familiar given the 1968 very famous movie, The Graduate, Yeah. where, um, if you don't know, a young graduate's being seduced by... Um, someone's married older woman called Mrs. Robinson, which then inspired the song Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel, which was played at your parents' wedding. Was it? Yeah. They did I didn't their, even know that. Did you not? <laughs> I didn't. No, they did their first dance together oh. to Mrs. Robinson. That's really strange because my mum didn't even change her last name. I know. So she didn't even become Mrs. Robinson. Maybe that's not even true. That's just what mum said. She was there, though, so I assume she knows. If either of our parents are listening, can you please verify 
which one of our facts is correct. But I would um, like to thank Branwell um, for the dance at your parents' wedding. Yeah, and also maybe I'm related to Branwell Bronte. Um, the worst of the Bronte siblings to be related yeah. to. But the, the final thing I'd like to say about Branwell, before he died, he tried to tell everyone that actually he wrote Wuthering Heights. He said, I did that. And his sister said, no, you didn't. And he went, fuck, you got me there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's my fun fact. That is a fun fact. Thank you, Amy. Um, okay, so now we're going to get into, as we were saying before, just an entire synopsis of the whole book. If you want to read the book, just maybe listen to something else first. I don't even think so. It's later. not really a I don't think it's a plot driven book. I don't think like the pleasure of reading it is going to be ruined by knowing what has happened. And it's kind of one of those books where you might know that it's really famous and be interested in what it's about and you might never actually read it. So you, you could just listen to us talk about it and then you'll know. Yeah, I suppose you're right and also like just old books like that usually turn most people away. But oh, definitely. if you listen to this entire plot synopsis and realise how wacky it is, then you might go, maybe I want to find out a little yeah. more and read the whole book, and, which, got to say, got, would recommend. Yeah, Great to book. a friend, Great 10 book. out of yeah, 10. 10 out of 10. Okay, so we open with this man called Lockwood uh, renting this manor out in the wop-wops of the English countryside. Uh, and while he's there, he meets his, like, I think he's supposed to be, like, 40-year-old landlord. 40 yeah, or like 50 40 or 50. Yeah, called Heathcliff. He's- Emily describes him as dark, uh, both on the inside and out. So, yeah, which is actually interesting to bring up because Heathcliff is a black man. He is. Uh, and Emily makes it very clear in the book. I mean, there's more discussion to be had about whether her depiction of a person of colour is good yeah you know but that's that's another discussion yeah by today's standards definitely there's a lot of um issues yeah i mean a lot of the times he is compared to a slave um Mm -hmm. in the way that he is treated and he's very much looked down upon by pretty much every character at least the first time that they meet him but it's still quite important to see a major character that has uh many various motivations throughout Mm, the novel and he's able to pursue them for himself. And also the way that the other characters treat him because he's um, this person of colour, it does kind of justify his actions. You can understand why he feels so strongly about things. Totally, totally. Um, But yeah, getting back to the plot. uh, So he... So this man, Lockwood, he's intrigued by Heathcliff and asks the housekeeper, Nellie, to basically recap Heathcliff's life. He's like, who is this man? Can you tell me every single thing that's ever happened to him? Yeah. And Nellie goes, absolutely. I will tell you every single thing. And boy, does she deliver. And and boy, does she in a 500 to 600 page novel (laughs) form. um, Because basically the way that it's written is Lockwood, this is Lockwood's writings of what Nelly has told him over like multiple nights. So the way that Isn't it's told, he writing to a friend, he is. I think he's like it's like supposed to be letters, but I'm like that's kind of hilarious. Like so do long. less, yeah. But then also that's why like there's some chronol time jumps. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry, had a minor stroke there. But there are time jumps and things like the way that you're reading. You're like this seems to come after 
a different event and mm. it's because of the way that it's told it's just yeah. one person sort of coming up with things much like you would tell a normal story it's like oh I forgot to yeah, add this extra exactly. detail back then so yeah and as we were talking about before it's just a very interesting way to tell a story mm. in general it's just from two two separate layers of subjectivity but yeah. trying to form this overarching objective way to tell a love story uh, so anyway Nelly starts her story and she worked as a servant for the Earnshaw family. So the dad heads off to Liverpool. Um, and when he comes home, he's got this random child with him. This this is Heathcliff. Um, but the two biological children, Catherine and Hinley, they're like, what the fuck, dad? You can't just bring another kid home. And the dad's kind of like... Uh, he didn't have a home. He like the dad's actually really nice. He is very nice, and he's kind of like, let's call him Heath Heathcliff because there's Heath out on the moors and there's yeah. cliffs. That's yeah. actually how they gave him the name. Yeah, very very original. Yeah, um, really just looking well at, done. It's very just stare at two random objects and uh, your name now, Amy. Lamp is green light switch. <laughs> Um, microphone holder. Yeah. Yeah, so very that. Um, Heathcliff does roll off the tongue slightly better, but hey, we can all try. Um, but Henley is also really mean to poor little Heathcliff. He's, he's such a dick. He is such a dick. And when I say he's a dick, like... He's, oh, he's he gets him. Yeah. He gets worse, but this is just sort of cha- classic childhood bullying. Yeah. You know, the sort of thing where Heathcliff would run crying. He doesn't actually do this in the book, but if he was like a child today, he would run crying to the parents. And then the parents would be like, that's just your sibling. Get used to it. You know? It grows character. Grows character. And before we go any further, we were just introduced to Catherine, mm-hmm. who is one of the best heroines in romantic literature. A true queen. She is a true queen. She's impulsive. She's wild. She's a badass. Yeah. And she's also a total bitch. And yeah, kind of mean to awful. people. She is awful. And just so many of the other heroines written at the time were just these images of perfection and mm, beauty yeah and she just wanted to go run around in the wild yeah literally she, did. she, she did literally that. just loved being out in the moors yeah she was like i'm feeling just the go wind sp- in her yeah. hair anywho kath Catherine, i almost just said katherine katherine <laughs> <laughs> definitely not how you pronounce it uh so kathy and her new step bro start getting real close um but then the mum dies and dad decides hey I like Heathcliff more. Yeah. And so I'm going to send you, the bully, Hinley, off to boarding school, which seems very reasonable. Um, Hinley was very mean, and Heathcliff, at this point, seems like a pretty nice kid. He's just a nice child. He's just a nice little kid who was in Liverpool. Stop Um, saying Liverpool. (laughs) so, So then we get our first time jump. Lots of these, by the way. Emily loves them. Yeah. Yeah, she absolutely loves it's them. It's good for pacing, though. Like, it is it good doesn't, for pacing. It doesn't drag on very no, much. No, exactly. Um, anyway, time jump. Think like it's three or four years or something. Yeah. And, uh-oh, dad's dead. Dead. Um, dead. So Hinley the bully returns and resumes his, quite frankly, dickish behavior. Because he's master of the house now. He's, he's master of the house. Um, yeah, so because the dad died, Hinley was next in line for... Wuthering Heights, the manor. So yeah, Henley now owns it, and he makes Heathcliff do all of the worst jobs around the estate. And this is kind of where some of those slavery comparisons mm, come out. Yeah. Um, but Kathy and Heath are still like total besties. They love each other. Yeah. And one night they go on a little adventure 
to lightly bully the snobs who live next door. Uh, so there's yeah. the Lintons, Edgar and Isabella Linton. Um, and they live at Linton Grange, which is yeah. where our first narrator, Lockwood, is staying. Yeah. But on this, you know, adventure, Kathy gets bitten by a dog and in classic 18th century gets incredibly ill and yeah. is bedridden for weeks. Yeah. Literally weeks. I think it's almost months. It's, it's, it's a very long time. And also strange... They don't take her back to her house. Ever. She has to stay at the Lintons. I don't even think they, like, communicate. No, I, I don't really understand how. They obviously didn't live too far away if two kids could just run across the moor. But, look, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand the geography of the area. But, yeah, she has to stay with the Lintons for a long time so she can recover. Mm-hmm. And Mama Linton decides to make Kathy a proper young lady and to stop her running around in the Being moors wild. by herself. Being a wild, impulsive girl. And she returns to uh, Wuthering Heights, a very changed woman, uh, very much more a woman that the Lintons would approve of. Mm -hmm. uh, And she's become kind of obsessed with the Linton son, Edgar. Yeah. uh, Who's sort of a classic... (laughs) (laughs) A classic. (laughs) A classic. A classic. He's a jock. He's a jock. He's a jock. He's just sort of that... um, He's basically what most of the other romance authors were writing yeah. heroes as. Yeah. Just kind of perfect nice. embodiments of manhood. Rich. Rich. White. White. Masculine. But also the way that Emily Bronte writes him is that she keeps emasculating him in lots of different yeah. ways throughout the, the book. entire novel. Basically just making him a little bit of a wuss. But he's a good guy. He is a good guy, but like that's just an interesting way for her to have done it mm. because most other authors have just been like, Edgar's great. Yeah. He's perfection. Um, but anyway, so she comes back and she's like, Edgar, you're amazing. Love you. And so, by the way, when Hindley returns um, and he's running the household, he returns with his new wife. And honestly, I forgot her name. Can't remember. She it. was totally forgettable. She was totally forgettable and kind. Sh- sure. Look, I don't know. Um, yeah, me neither. And within a few chapters, she she dies. But she has a baby first. She does have a baby first. Little baby Harriton. I keep Harriton. Wanting- oh, Harriton. I always want to say Harriton because I feel like that's a way more fun well, way they, to say it. They said Harriton in the audiobook, so I assume. Yeah. I hope that's right. Look, you know, I feel like creative, creative. Um, Freedom. Creative yeah. freedom, and I've got that to say, Harriton. Uh, and Hindley becomes a raging alcoholic, uh, and he starts treating Heathcliff even worse. And so, yeah, Hindley's being really, really mean to Heathcliff, like the worst that he's ever been. And and during this time, Kathy and Heath are just falling deeply and madly in love with each other. Yeah, so Kathy and Heath, they're still like, we love each other yeah. as step-siblings and lovers Hmm. um but kathy she succumbs to social pressure and she does get engaged to little edgar which leads heath to run away i think he goes to is it revealed where he goes to i don't think it's always a mystery it's kind of like nelly doesn't know so she's kind of saying maybe he went to the americas for a while and made his fortune yeah you know because what happens is there's another time jump and a few years later, Heath returns. He vows revenge on everyone 
and he's rich now and yep. no one knows how. Mm. But when he returns, Kathy and Eddie are days away from getting married. They're yeah. on the cusp, which also long engagement, um, multiple years. They did do that, though. In the, in the olden days? But yeah. Didn't they, didn't they only live till like, 25? So eventually, Hinley does die. And this is kind of at the hands of Heathcliff very indirectly mm. because Heathcliff, like... Gives him a bunch of money as a loan, which then makes Henley drink yeah. more. Well, Heathcliff and and Henley are living together at this yeah. point, yeah. and um, they're drinking together, they're gambling. Heathcliff's in- encouraging Henley to to bring his gambling friends around, and it just gets to the point where Henley has no money, and Heath- Heathcliff does. So he mortgages everything to Heathcliff, and then yeah, he gives up the will to live kind of and dies yeah, he does die and Heathcliff inherits the family manor Wuthering mm. Heights and then he marries Edgar's little sister Isabella Linton from earlier they elope in the novel and run away together they do elope but he's like super mean to her so mean this puts him in line to inherit their estate as well so this is kind of how you can see why yeah he inherited you can see his manners. kind of scheme he's he he's scheming. hoping that he can not only best hindley which he has just done but also edgar because edgar's got kathy and he hates that yeah he does hate that he wants kathy for himself yeah and he's like fuck you and he edgar, also fuck you hindley he also ran houses. away with isabella to hurt kathy to yeah. be like so you love me, this is what you're going to do, I'm going to run away with your husband's little sister. So yeah, eventually Hinley dies, and Heathcliff inherits that family manor, and then, which shocks everyone, he marries Edgar's sister Isabella, which annoys Edgar, and it annoys Catherine, which he's yeah. super mad at, because yeah. they got together, and he's like, she's mine. Um and he's just super mean At to her. At this point, he's just going for maximum emotional damage. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? He is succeeding. Yeah. Um, and so that concludes my part of yeah. the little plot recap. Amy, do you want to finish it off? So while Isabella and Heathcliff, are, they've eloped. Nobody knows where they are. During that time, Catherine gets pregnant with Edgar's baby. And we have another time jump, and we come back to Catherine is... She's still really upset with what's happened with Heathcliff and she hopes he comes back so she knows, you know, what happened. Um, And she becomes very pregnant and Heathcliff comes back and breaks into the house to see her. And this kind of is a really... This comes to a precipice of emotion. And she just is overwhelmed by, you know, Heathcliff and how much she loves him and how much she knows that he's a bad person, but that he's her soulmate. Mm. And this kind of upset means that she goes into a nervous fit for weeks and she's upset and she's kind of talking gibberish and nobody can get through to her. And on the final night of her life, Heathcliff comes in and is said, you know, we have to run away together. We have to be together. Like, I love you. And she's like, you can't, can't you see that you're killing me? And she said, you've killed me and I'll haunt you for the rest of your life. And shortly after that, Kathy go, goes into kind of a comatose state. She gives birth to a daughter and then she dies. So. Very important plot point. And possibly the most famous scene in the book mm. is that little 
interaction on Catherine's it's that, deathbed. You know, that, that you loving me has killed me. Yeah. So then we have a 13-year time jump. Edgar calls this daughter that Kathy had before she died, Catherine, um, very inventive from him. Well done. Super amazing. Catherine the second. I'm going to call baby Kathy Catherine because we've been calling older Catherine Kathy. Not confusing at all, but... So Baby Kath has lived a really privileged, happy, sheltered life. She loves her dad. Her dad is really kind and interested in her and, like, gives her lots of books. She's well-read. She's she's kind of the anti-Kathy. She's, she's cultured and um, gentle and um, restrained, but she still has wild eyes. Okay? Yeah. Um, she's free to roam around in her, her father's estate, but she doesn't ever leave because of this rift between Edgar and Heathcliff. And Edgar pretty much becomes an agrophobe, agrophobiac? Agrophobe? Agro- just, I think it's just an agrophobe, right? He has agrophobia. Agoraphobe? Agoraphobe? Look well, it up. he doesn't leave his house. <laughs> so during this time, Isabella's been living in London with Heathcliff's child and she's dying, and her last wish is that the son that she had with Heath doesn't live with him at the Heights, but rather lives with Edgar at Linton Grange. And she's called this child, again, inventively, Linton. So That's Linton... Her, that is their last name. <laughs> yeah, I know. That is mortifying. <laughs> it's actually just like something else. Oh, God. And so Linton's name is actually Linton Heathcliff. <laughs> Because Heathcliff has no last name. So he's just, anyway. So Linton is sent to Linton Grange to live with his uncle Edgar and and Catherine. And he shows up there and he's he's little, he's sickly, he's pale. He's not at all got the kind of robustness of um, Heathcliff. And it's several times talked about the fact that he's really pale and that he doesn't look at all like his father. And so they get to Linton Grange. But Heathcliff shows up and he goes, well, this is my son. That's illegal. I'm taking him to Wuthering Heights. And Edgar kind of has to go, okay, because, like, he doesn't have any legal... Standing. Standing. So it's important to know that Linton has a sickly disposition. But this meeting with Linton really stays with baby Kathy. Like, she just is like, this is my family. She, at this point, Kathy doesn't know anything about her mother because her father is so in love with her that he doesn't want to talk about her. And he doesn't want to say anything that'll ruin older Kathy and baby Kathy's eyes, you know. So then we have another jump. And Catherine's maybe 15 and 16 by this stage. And she's getting frustrated with the fact that she just lives in this house with her father and her nanny, who's Nellie, who's the narrator. And so she starts sneaking away um, during the day, she starts going on longer and longer rides outside of the land that her father owns, and she starts going onto the moors. And this leads to a series of um, meetings with Heathcliff, who, to her, it seems like this really lovely, charming man who just wants her to know his her cousin. Um, of course, this is a trick by Heathcliff. Um, Heathcliff knows that Edgar's been talking shit about him. And rightfully so. So he's trying to manipulate Catherine into thinking that her father is the bad guy. Yeah. And so he wants Catherine and Linton to get married so that they can rightfully inherit Linton Grange. And therefore Heathcliff would have won the entire game. He would have had Wuthering Heights and Linton Grange. 
So under the careful eye of Heathcliff, Linton and Catherine start falling in love. But it's important to note that Linton is such a dick. Like, he's just really boring. So boring. And he doesn't say anything nice to Catherine. He's like, treat him mean, keep him keen. And Catherine's kind of like, cute, flirting. Um, And so they fall in love. And... Linton just gets more and more sick and Heathcliff goes, you need to come see him. He's going to die. And so she runs away in the middle of the night during the snow, gets to the Heights and Heathcliff says, come inside. And she goes, oh, I'm not really sure about that. And Heathcliff grabs her and puts her in a bedroom and locks her in a bedroom and then um, forces them to get married. And so they marry under the thought that Catherine thinks that if she marries him, Linton will die and then she'll be able to go home. But in the meantime, Edgar, who's devastated by the fact that he thinks that his daughter's run away, just like his sister did, and Mm. he's devastated by this. So he dies. He dies of grief. Um, And so Linton and Catherine are married. And Linton dies. Um, There's just a lot of death. There's so much death. Pretty much every character dies. Yeah. So... They die, and Catherine is never released. Heathcliff doesn't let her go. She's trapped there forever, just with Heathcliff and Hareton and Crazy Joseph. Um, And Heathcliff is now her legal guardian and and controls all of her money and all of her actions. Because at this time, women really had very little rights. You know, they they didn't... They had no right to vote. They had no right to property. They... They, couldn't were, control they, they any, themselves were property. They were. They couldn't control any aspects of themselves. Yeah. So at this point where Heathcliff is one, he's, his, his son who he doesn't like has died. He's, he's secured Wuthering Heights and Linton Grange. They're all just living in this kind of unhappiness because this hasn't fixed Heathcliff. It hasn't, like, it hasn't soothed the scars of his hurts. You know, that's what he was aiming to do by yeah. doing all of this. Um, and so at this point we rejoin the start of the storyline where Lockwood comes in and so Lockwood goes away again because he's kind of like oh, Kathy kind of seems weird and I don't like it and I'm leaving and so he leaves he's like I'm never coming back and then eight months later he comes back <laughs> <laughs> and he, come, he comes to see Nellie and um, she resumes the tale because she's now living at Wuthering Heights. She went, thank God you're she back. Went, I, need I have to tell so you everything. much to tell you. <laughs> yeah. He's her gay best friend. So when Lockwood leaves, Catherine is depressed, unsurprisingly, and she's angry. And so she takes out her anger on her cousin, Hareton, and she belittles the fact that he's unrefined and illiterate. Both of these things are not his fault because Heathcliff hasn't given him any education. Heathcliff becomes less and less of a strong antagonist um, because he starts avoiding Catherine and Hareton because he, they remind him so much of Hintley and Kathy because they look the same. And baby Kathy has older Kathy's wild eyes. Um, and then finally, Kathy's ghost turns up at the bedroom window of, of Heathcliff's room. She's been wandering the moors at this point for 17 years. She's lost. She's cold. All that she remembers is this the, this point at which she died where she was in so much pain. And Heathcliff is has to face all of his wrongs all at the same time. And this makes him go insane. 
So, descending into madness, in Kathy's company, he locks himself into Kathy's room and he doesn't come out for days until the point at which he's starved to death. And that's how Heathcliff dies. Which is surprisingly underwhelming for a character that's committed so many wrongs. Yeah. You know? But a bad way to go. Oh, such a shit way to go. Yeah, isn't it something like it takes... 25 to 30 days to die of starvation. That is just not true. I made that up. (laughs) (laughs) So Heathcliff dies. No one comes to his funeral. Not a surprise. Um, But after this, like the house is much happier. And Catherine kind of realises that Hareton, it's not his fault that he's illiterate. He's actually a really smart guy. He's just never been given the chance. So she's in the evening, she starts teaching him how to read. And together they start fi- fixing up Wuthering Heights and they fall in love. Essentially, they make Wuthering Heights a bit less grim and they fall in love and plan to marry. And the book closes with Nellie talking about how all of the people in the village around the moors have seen Cathy and Heathcliff walking around together. And that's Wuthering Heights. <laughs> yeah, so, like, just a really sad and depressing book, but ends kind of happy? I guess you could say that. There, yeah. there are a surprising amount of people that I've talked to about Wuthering Heights are just like, God, I wish someday for a love like Heathcliff and Kathy. And I'm like, really? Only when you're both dead. You're both dead. You're finally together. You've fucked each other's lives up so much. And everybody else's in the process. I don't think that they've read the book. I don't <laughs> I don't think so. I've also never seen one of the adaptations. Have you seen any of the movies or anything? I saw one of them, but it only went up to um, Kathy and Edgar getting married. That's where the movie ended. What? Yeah. So Kathy and Edgar got married. And then Heathcliff came back. And then Kathy died. And that was it. So no Linton? No. Or no, baby Kathy. No, no baby Kathy. No baby Kathy. No Hareton. None of that. They really just cut that narrative arc in half and went, that's it. Okay, Amy, mm-hmm. do you have a favourite character? I do. It's It has to be Nellie. Yeah. Like, she's such good chat. Like she what is. a What a good bitch to just be like, hey, I have the receipts yeah. and I have the story. And to sit there for presumably hours... And remember so much detail of other people's lives. Oh yeah, over a and long she she remembers every single conversation. Yeah, she remembers everything that everybody said to each other. So she has to be the goat. Like she's just doing the most, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like my favorite character, who is also a servant mm. at Wuthering Heights, um, he's this. I think he's supposed to be from. Like up he's, north, he's or like a something? puritanical kind yeah. of. He's really his name's Joseph. He's Re- never really explained. We haven't brought yeah. him up yet. But... We haven't brought him up because he doesn't really do anything. No. But he just sort of walks around, is weird, is mean, is religious. And when you read the book, like whenever it has Joseph speaking, it just it's literal gibberish, it and it makes really no is. sense. He just is like some kind of man that's like. Get off my lawn! Yeah. But, like, with the Lord, you know? And you can't even really tell that he's saying that. You can't get the no. vibe that he's being mean, but you have no idea what he's saying. And, like, the other thing about Joseph is everybody fucking hates him. And no one does anything to get rid of him. No, and that's why I love him. Yeah. Because he's just straight-up vibes, being so mean and so nonsensical. Who do you think your least favourite character is? I actually don't know. Really? Yeah, 
probably... I mean, Henley is just so terrible. Mm. For me, but, it's Linton. Yeah, I was about to say Linton is also because, terrible. Because, like, Henley, you kind of understand. Like, he had a father that just was like, I actually don't like you very much. I've found this other one. He's going to be my son. You know, so you kind of understand his animosity. Yeah. And the same with Heathcliff. Like, Heathcliff is you know, objectively a bad guy. He's a bad character. But you understand all of the things that he's been through. You know, he's been abandoned as a child. He's been brought into this home where everybody apart from two people hate him and think that he's the devil. And then the woman that he loves is taken from him. He has to go make his way in the world where presumably he faces a lot of prejudice. Yeah. And he comes back. of, Of course he's angry. But Linton... Linton's been brought up in the like bosom of of privilege. Yeah, and he's just such a wet blanket. Like the chat's not there. He's he's mean also, to baby Kathy. He's mean and just what a terrible name. Change oh, I it. Know. He should have changed. He should have changed his name. I you know what I would have preferred? Lindor. Lindor. Like the chocolate. Yeah, or like Forever Rocher. Um. But yeah, let's just wrap up our thoughts on mm. on the book. Personally, I've just loved this book. Wuthering Heights just gripped me and never let me go. The characters mm. are completely unforgettable. The plot is just wacky and wild, and there's about 25 time jumps. Yeah. And Nellie is a queen, and... She handles she handles it with dexterity. She's she moving sure does. so well through, through time. Yeah. Um... Yeah. For me, I just love how visual it is. I yeah. feel like I I know what the moors look like and what Wuthering Heights looks like and and the sounds and the feelings and all of that. I think that's the thing that was most impressive to me. But we would be absolutely remiss if we didn't bring up Wuthering Heights, the song by Kate Bush. Oh my god. This is the best song to ever exist. It simply is. And it sounds like we're being hyperbolic. We are not. No. I'm pretty sure it was my number one played Listen, song on Spotify. on Spotify. I'm pretty sure it was. Yep. And But it's funny because it really didn't start out no. that way. So um, I was, we were walking home one day and I was yeah. like, God, I've been listening to Wuthering Heights on repeat all day and it's giving me strength. And Charlie was like, what? Why is there a, What? And I went, yeah. oh, my God, you have to listen. And so we're walking along, an ear pod in each ear, and I play it. And so it starts off a little bit kooky, a little bit quicky, and Charlie was unconvinced. And we listened to it walking home to our flat, and he went, no. I, I went, know. not for me. I don't yeah. like it. I didn't like the chorus, and I was like, I don't understand what she's saying. And I was so disappointed because yeah. I was like, I, I knew I'd read Wuthering Heights. I knew you would have got it. And, like, my parents are really obsessed with the song. So are most of our age people's parents because it, yeah. it was a hit. Like, oh, it was, was a hit. Number one number hit, one. 1978. But then what happened after this? So that initial introduction, not on. And Didn't so like I just it. let it go. Like, let I was quite go. upset because yeah. I was, like, such a good song. And then... Time jump. In classic Wuthering Heights. Classic. <laughs> passion. Time jump. Three months later, Charlie goes... God, I've been listening to Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush all week, and I can't stop. And I did research the entire history of the song between 1 to 2 a.m. after having listened to it on repeat 
for probably an hour before that. Just a random <laughs> night. I don't know what came over me. And how was that song written? That, okay, so and Kate Bush is a queen. She So she watched the BBC adaptation of Wuthering Heights just like on TV at home because she was 18 at the time. Like she was a kid and she wrote the whole song in one night and then the next night she recorded and mixed the entire song. She sang the whole <laughs> yeah. thing in one take. In two nights, created one of the best songs ever written. One of like the defining songs of our friendship and of history. Yeah. And the whole song is just so interesting because it's from Catherine's ghost's perspective. perspective. And you really hear that in the vocalisation. The other thing about this song, so she did it all herself overnight. Then she released a video, a music video, that she did, I think, in the like backyard of her house, like in the paddock, and she's wearing this like full red outfit and she's interpretive dancing and for this, the entire thing. And that's the only correct way to quite frankly dance to that song. It's just a fantastic song. It's straight up vibes. Yeah. It's super wacky and we love it. Yeah. And you need to listen to it. Yeah. Um if you don't read the book, that's actually okay. Yeah. Listen to the song. Yeah. And and you won't like it the first time. No, you won't. You You'll to, think it's really, really fucking weird. Yeah, and for, just force yourself to read it. Sorry. Force yourself to listen to it a few times. And weirdly, it really does capture the essence of the book. Like mm-hmm. It really, really does. Uh, it's just so great. Um, So now we're going to get into... Ju- so we're getting into judging a book by its cover. So the book this week is so, was my choice. So it's called... Red Dog by Willem Anker. Uh, we'll put up photos on our Instagram. Because I'm judging this book by its cover, I'll give yeah. you a little explanation of what it looks yeah. like. Well, also, let's just talk about what the segment is. So, well, this is our first time doing it. It's, yeah. We're literally judging, judging a, a book, book by, by its cover, cover, so we haven't read any of it. Yeah. We're just looking at the front cover, the back cover, including the little blurb and the reviews, and we're going to decide if we like it or not. Yep. And whether you should read it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to tell you whether you should read it. Okay, so firstly, first thing I get from this, there's a red dog. Well, it's called, sorry, it's, it's called, called Red, red dog, dog, but the dog on the front cover is, is black. black. I don't like that. I don't like it either. I immediately don't trust the novel. What else are you Lies. not telling me? Um, yeah, exactly. So the whole cover is pretty much red and then underneath dog and then a black scary dog. It kind of... Rem- like the name reminds me of the film Red Dog, which is a delightful tale about one man's friendship with um, a dog. But this is scary and I don't like it. And also the Times did say on the front cover, one of the best anti-heroes you will read this year. So I think it's not a, a strict adaptation of that previous film you were discussing. I don't think it is at all. Um, it's long listed for the, the Booker Prize. So that's... Oh, that is something. I guess. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say it's about a 6 out of 10. Yeah, I I would say that I'm going to go for 5 out of 10 only because I I see the Man Booker Prize, but the the cover has already lied to me, and I just yeah. I don't know what else to you believe. You can't take it. I can't take it anymore, and I'm quite frankly upset. So that concludes our first episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Uh, this has been really fun for us. 
And our next episode is going to be all about normal people. Yeah, by Sally Rooney. And we're also going to talk about the TV adaptation that really mm-hmm. took the world by storm. Yeah, uh, and that during will, lockdown. Yeah, during lockdown. And that will include a deep dive into that necklace. Yeah. All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you. We will see you next time. We will see you next time. (laughs) Bye-bye. Congratulations. You're listening to a Radio 1 91FM podcast.